It is 7 o'clock. I will call the meeting to order. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, we move to B1, um, the report by the superintendent. I'll turn it over to Dr. Henson. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. I have several uh, things to highlight for you uh, this evening. Top high schools. The Washington Post ranked Shawnee Mission East, Shawnee Mission South, and Shawnee Mission Northwest as top high schools in the nation in relation to the America's most challenging high schools list. So again, the high schools for us, East, South, and Northwest, 12% of the high schools in the nation make this cut. Earlier this spring, Shawnee Mission East and Shawnee Mission South were on the U.S. News and World Report rankings of best high schools. So congratulations to our high schools. We have a grant award tonight to mention to you. The Kauffman Foundation has awarded $98,200 to Apache IS. The purpose is to support a project-based learning teaching model at the Apache Innovative School. So again, 98200 from the Kauffman Foundation for Apache IS. We have many high-achieving students. I want to highlight just a few of our students. These are incredible uh, young men and women. And so you see Ely Green in front of us tonight. She's the Stockholm Junior Water Prize recipient. And I'll mention what this means. Green study relates to detection of lead in drinking water. She will now compete in the Nationals final co Finals Contest in North Carolina. She has the opportunity to receive $10,000 and a trip to Stockholm, Sweden to re represent the United States in international competition. She was also recognized for her work at the R&D Forum in the Greater Kansas City Science and Engineering Fair. Her science teacher is Jared Bardwell. Aaron Smith, a name familiar to you, Shawnee Mission West biotechnology student, recently added more awards to her long list of accolades. She recently earned three awards at the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair, the world's largest international pre-college science competition. You can see her uh, surprise on her face. At this competition, she earned an Intel Foundation Cultural and Scientific Visit to China Award, which came with an invitation to attend the China Adolescent Science and Technology Innovation Contest. Erin has developed a technology to help detect and diagnose Parkinson's disease. Among her many successes, her research is being used by the Michael J. Fox Foundation. She was accepted into an exclusive MIT program for conducting research. Recently, Erin was named the winner of the Kansas Biogenius Competition. She earned third place in the Junior Science and Humani Humanities Symposia. She's also earned the Grand Award at the Greater Kansas City Science and Engineering Fair. Trent McHenry, a student from Shawnee Mission Northwest, was named to the All-State Academic Team. This is an honor presented by the Topeka Capital Journal. It recognizes achievements in academics, extracurricular activities, and community service. Trent credits his mom, a teacher, for inspiring him in STEM. He founded and led Shawnee Mission Northwest chapter of National Mass Society and was involved in the IB program. He believes in equal education for everyone in the world, and he plans to attend the University of Pennsylvania 
majoring in chemistry. The Business Professionals of America. You can see a picture of our students. Shawnee Mission Northwest students represented our school district and state in the national BPA competition in Florida two weekends ago. The economic research team included these students. Haley uh, Wersinski, Lizzie Weems, Juliana Cantor. The financial analyst team included these students. Noah Kendall, Jared Ray, and Winter Sparks. Matt Owens placed in the top ten in Florida in banking and finance. Reed Williams also placed in the top ten in global marketing. And Jan Berg is the sponsor of BPA and Sarah Fredrickson assisted and traveled with this group in Florida. Obviously extremely successful. A little different photo for you. The <laughs> Rose Hill kept boats afloat. Rose Hill students made life-size boats as a part of a project-based learning activity. You see a picture of Dr. Southwick there. They studied buoyancy and used a variety of materials, mostly taped and cardboard. And several administrators tested them by sailing across the Shawnee Mission South Pool. I think that might be the individual that came in last, <laughs> Dr. Sumner. Um, but congratulations to our primary grade students. Correct me, Dr. Ziegler, second grade? And so uh, what an exciting um, opportunity uh, for these students to work in that regard, to work on their engineering uh, skills. 65 years of Highlands. The Highlands Hawks celebrated 65 years with a huge celebration. Students, staff members, and community members gathered at the school to mark this significant milestone with a music performance, reception, and open house. The R&D Forum showcased student excellence. The Research and Development Forum celebrates the rigorous and relevant work by Shawnee Mission School District students. This was the forum's 54th year, thanks to the generous support of the Rainier Family Foundation. Nearly 60 awards were given, including Rainier Awards, which are given to the projects that most demonstrated students performing above and beyond. The Rainier Awards were presented to Keegan Mould, Shawnee Mission South, and teacher Greg Teal, Joseph Perry, Shawnee Mission West, and teacher Brenda Bott, Aaron Smith, Shawnee Mission West, and teacher Brenda Bott, and Robert, Has Robert Haskins, Shawnee Mission South, and teacher Greg Teal. Sixth grade Olympics. This month, sixth graders attended the annual sixth grade Olympics at five of our middle schools. The event was put together by our staff with a few changes all put in place to help our students begin the transition from elementary school to middle school. We have a video to show you, which will give you a glimpse of the All right, I'm sixth grade is joining every east side elementary school um, sixth grade class out here today to compete in olympic day and start the transition to indian hills middle school they're going from like our class is 51 to i don't even know how big it is 400 or more and so i think it's good to be with the kids that you're going to go to middle school with so we try to give them the tour let them ask questions see what they're uneasy about and just be able to have that dialogue really decreases their stress level it's just really fun to just pull at the rope you kind of get some blisters, but it's still pretty fun. Because I love doing uh, dizzy stuff and then running. Run, run, run. I like the races because I'm really competitive, and I like racing with my friends. I think it's really a win-win from all the way around with the awesome events on the, the field, you know, the transition activities inside, meeting new friends. Just a really cool day for our kids to um, have fun and start that transition process. 
I think it'll be a little bit confusing because the school's really big and it'll be hard to find your class. And we only have four minutes to get to each class and pretty scared, but I'm excited. Graduation last week. Over 1,900 seniors graduated from our high schools this last week. Um, our students were offered more than $42 million in scholarships, so congratulations to our students. As you are keenly aware, we had graduation ceremonies outside for two nights and inside for the third night. I will make one brief comment uh, on that transition. It's very, very difficult to have everyone lined up and then move inside. And really, our students and our participants and our families that were there did a great job mm -hmm. um, because it is quite a challenge in order to, to make that happen. Not only do we have fantastic students, but we also have incredibly talented teachers. We celebrate two Kansas Teacher of the Year nominees. You see their pictures there tonight, Patty Ingram and Travis Wallace our school district's nominees for the 2018 Kansas Teacher of the Year program. And if I can find the right page, I'll tell you um, more about them through the process. Terry's going to pass that down to me, but I do have that somewhere. There's the correct page. Okay, here's the correct page. Excuse me. Patty Ingram is a sixth grade teacher at Rushton Elementary School. Patty has been with Shawnee Mission six years. She's the lead facilitator on Rushton Trauma-Informed Care Team. Travis Wallace is an eighth grade science teacher for us at Hawker Grove Middle School. Travis has taught in the district for nine years. His passion is teaching science. He's also the girls' basketball coach. He's received nomination for the Presidential Award for Excellence in Mathematics and Science Teaching. These nominees become a part of the Kansas Teacher of the Year Network which connects teachers who are leaders in improving education. The individual ultimately named Kansas Teacher of the Year will enter the National Teacher of the Year competition. Also, Shawnee Mission South Teacher Economic Educator uh, of the Year. You see a picture there of Tony. He was honored by the Kansas Council for Economic Education for Teaching and Education. He's also been honored for a strong record of his economics challenge teams and is helping to get students excited about economics. He's coached two teams to the championship titles and one team to second place. As a coach, two of his students received the highest individual score at a state competition. Talk a little bit about construction very uh, <coughs> briefly. As you know, um, first meeting uh, in this building. The building is not completed. This side is, is mainly completed. As you know, the students won't move into the building until August. We are in the process of two other moves that are currently taking place. Ryan uh, Benninghoven, that move is in uh, process. That will take us a little bit of time. We don't have to hurry quite as much right now that school's out. Again, as you know, Ryan Benninghoven, the new school will open in August. And also the Brookwood move to Indian Creek is in process. So as you know, Brookwood will start school as we build a new school for Brookwood, but they'll start school at Indian Creek. So those things are in uh, process right now in relation to construction. And we'll talk a little more about construction to the board agenda tonight. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Okay. <coughs> we move to C1, special presentations. Dr. Hansen. Last week we received the sixth grade commission uh, report. Uh, it is uh, on the agenda. It is uh, lengthy. 
And so this is an opportunity uh, to present it to you tonight. Uh, obviously, it's, it's made uh, public as well. Uh, again, it's a lengthy document. Thank you, but it will be on the June uh, agenda for considerable discussion. I will remind you that if, if you make a decision to move sixth grade to the middle school, this is a multiple year process. This cannot happen quickly. And so the uh, issue of moving sixth grade to middle school, if that decision is made down the road, um, it's a very, um, will be a very challenging process to move over six, 2,000 sixth graders to the middle school. So this is not something that could happen immediately, not something that would have an impact on the boundary recommendations that are before you this evening. So again, it'll come back to the June agenda um, for discussion. Special presentations, Dr. Hubbard tonight is going to present in relation to uh, boundary uh, recommendations. And so as you know, this has been an ongoing discussion. Thank you, Dr. Hubbard, for your presence. <clears throat> Thank you all for the opportunity to discuss um, boundaries tonight. I know we've been discussing for several months, and um, Dr. Southwick has asked me to uh, address just a couple of things, and for his absence tonight, he has a really good excuse. He is a, a new grandpa, so we'll give him that this time, but we will miss Dr. Southwick in this presentation. I think the important thing to talk about before we get started is the process that we've taken. So original proposal made in March, and then two community forum meetings where we um, gathered input and then produced a revised copy. And then there is a couple of tweaks in here tonight that we will put up as soon as the, the board meeting is over and that we made really sort of at the last minute based on input that we've received since the revision went out. So quite a bit of input, and I'm going to talk about that more specifically as we go here. So again, um, the proposal was put out for specific reasons to address overcrowding, to effectively utilize our facilities. We have some that are over capacity, some that are under capacity. Um, we have a new school to consider, Lenexa Hills Elementary School, and then also new construction in some areas of the district that we need to consider. Ultimately, um, the goal is to balance our schools, to balance our elementary schools in this particular proposal. This proposal is for the 18-19 school year, um, with families having the choice to go in 17-18 if they would choose, if the proposal would be approved. And transportation rules would apply. That's a big question that has continued to come up for the 2.5 rule, which means any student living more than 2.5 miles would receive transportation. Anybody under would have to pay for that transportation if they chose, or if they needed that. So. Um, currently, this is the boundary as it is for 1617. And then in the proposed um, attendance boundaries, these were the schools that were impacted. This <coughs> slide specifically says revised because the Krista McAuliffe boundary, you saw a choice feeder placed in there for the Krista McAuliffe. We're going to talk a little more specifically about choice feeder as that was really the majority of the input that came in after the revised version from May the 10th. Sorry, I'm running two computers here, so bear with me. So input from the, the community, we re originally received 52 emails, and um, since the revised version went out, we've received an additional 31. 
We had two community forums. The first one we had 77 in attendance and the second one 38 in attendance. We had 34 um, orange cards submitted in April and then we had yellow cards in May and there were six submitted. I will add that of those submitted orange cards as well as emails, some of those are duplicate submissions of the same person um, with different concerns depending on what that was. And then um, I started keeping track of phone calls, to be completely honest, but um, it went way beyond tracking phone calls. And many people took phone calls, not just myself, in regards to this. And so a summary of the concerns, and you're going to see that many of the concerns were also positives for, for other people, and it was all about perspective of where you are. In some cases, the boundary proposal might have been great for my family because it puts me closer to a school. For other families, it made them further away than their current school. So again, some of the concerns that you see um, are both positive and concerns for other families. There were specific neighborhood topics that were brought for um, attention, crossing major highways, no sidewalks, Again, some schools were closer, some were not. Choice feeders um, is highlighted here because it really was a big one that came after the May 10th proposal. Then positive feedback there. Again, choice feeders were positive for some people, not so much for others. And overall, there was a lot of positive for just the board listening to concerns throughout the process. Um, with the choice feeder, I want to bring in Trailwood right now. We currently have four split feeder patterns. Rising Star, McAuliffe, East Antioch, and Trailwood. East Antioch would be taken care of in this uh, proposal if it were approved. However, we would add Lenexa Hills, so we would still have four. Currently, of the split feeders, Trailwood is the only split feeder that has some sort of choice in that feeder. So as you will see, Trailwood is split by 95th Street. Anyone living um, north of 95th Street in where the red bars are, they have a choice to either attend south with their peers or east, which is their actual feeder pattern. And so that, that particular group of kids has a choice. It is a small percentage of students for the Trailwood community. So the tweak that is in this proposal is with so much controversy around choice, if, if you wanted to consider the option of maintaining consistency for split feeder patterns, this would be another way to look at it. So I'm going to show both versions to you. So again, from the original proposal, Broken Arrow does not change. So I'm not going to go specifically through it. Um, it's been out there since March. The numbers are there. All of these numbers are based on uh, enrollment on February 20th. I will tell you on any given day, these numbers fluctuate depending on building, um, but they absolutely fluctuate daily. And then here is the boundary, the current boundary for Broken Arrow and then the proposed boundary for Broken Arrow. The next one, Chris McAuliffe, um, this one was revised. Um, and the revision was uh, putting Forest Park back from the, uh, in the original proposal, Forest Park was placed into Lenexa Hills. This revised version puts Krista McAuliffe back. It also removes a part of a Benninghoven attendance area that we left at Benninghoven. 
it gave some choice to um, one street of a neighborhood, Autumn Park in Timberstone, that we had originally left out of the proposal. And that was input from the community that we, as a result, revised. And then the third being that McAuliffe would become a choice feeder pattern. So the, the tweak for tonight would only be that um, only the students, if we follow and mirror what we've done in Trailwood, only the small percentage of Northwest students would have the choice to remain with the majority of the elementary school in the West feeder pattern or remain in their Northwest feeder pattern. Again, the numbers are here. And then this is what the boundary would look like if um, the only the small percentage of Northwest were given. The red stripes would indicate the students and neighborhoods that would be given the choice of feeder pattern at the high school level. Next building, East Antioch, is again the same proposal for March. No changes there. Numbers and boundary map. Again, this does clean up a split feeder. Lenexa Hills Elementary School, it is revised. The only revision to this particular feeder here is that um, Forest Park would return to Krista McAuliffe. And again, that the small portion of Northwest students would have the choice to remain with their elementary feeder peers or remain in the Northwest feeder pattern. Mill Creek, no change to Mill Creek. Proposed boundary. Overland Park Elementary, no change in the revision. Let me go back to uh, Mill Creek just a minute to make sure I understand. Mill Creek and Benninghoven um, and Shawano, which is this sort of all encompasses all already feet into Northwest, right? That is correct. Okay, thank you. Then we have Benninghoven, so the revisions for Benninghoven. Um, a small portion of students living east of Renee to Flum would remain at Benninghoven. The students living um, of the two, the one street, Autumn Park and Timberstone that we, that really quite frankly we missed in the first one, would have the choice to remain with our neighborhood Wedgwood in the um, McAuliffe attendance area. And again here, um, nope, Biddinghoven is a solid feeder, sorry. <coughs> Numbers for Biddinghoven and boundary for Biddinghoven. Rising Star Elementary, there was no change in the original. There's a small tweak here that would allow, again, as a split feeder, the Northwest students to, that attend Rising Star to have the choice to go to Northwest or remain in the West feeder with their peers. This map is a little deceiving as it looks like it's probably 50% of Rising Star. It is only about 25 of their current and it would actually be less with um, the, the proposed boundary change in this particular. And when you say high school feeder pattern, that starts in middle school? 
The seventh grade, yes. Okay. Thank you. Shawano Elementary. Um, no change here, but there was a lot of concern around the demographics and um, academic performance of Shawano. So we are proposing a plan to put some additional support in Shawano, um, an ELL primary teacher, an ELL intermediate teacher, and an administrative intern that would help support instruction at Shawano Elementary. We're also looking at other buildings with high populations to do the same thing. Uh, again, as you all know, waiting on the formula to see what happens with school funding, but we are working on a plan to support those buildings that do have higher academic needs than others throughout the district. Shawano numbers and Shawano boundary. Sunflower Elementary, no change here. And the boundary. And then we added this chart, which um, just gives an overall before and after. And as you'll notice on the bottom and the after, again, going back to our original proposal of balance, we have pretty significant balance, especially among those four large schools on the northwest and west areas, with also some ro room for growth, considering we were hoping to be between 450, 450 and 550 ultimately. And this would be the final proposed elementary map. And again, just as a conclusion, address overcrowding, um, effectively use our facilities, support the opening of a new school, and support new enrollment needs due to construction in the areas. So with that, um, I would encourage you to ask any questions that you have or discussion that you may have around the options presented. Yeah. Dr. Denny? So if you have students that say live in a cross-hatched area, and I don't know which one right offhand, but let's just say that it's a choice between north, west, and west, and they're two and a half miles away from either one, we're going to provide busing no matter what their choice is. Is that correct? That is correct. If they're over 2.5, under 2.5, they would have the option to pay for busing. So we could, in theory, we could we could run a bus through a neighborhood to pick up some students to go to west and another bus through that same neighborhood to pick up some students to go to northwest. That is correct. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Mack. Um, thank you. Um, I have several concerns about the proposal, and um, you and I have discussed them, and I, and I would like to present them tonight. Um, one of the district priorities is for balance. And to start with one of the schools, um, I'd like to start with Shawano. Um, if my understanding is correct, the sweet spot for grade schools is somewhere between 450 and 550. And if I look at the numbers for Shawano Elementary, starting as they are today, they are at 500. Um, after the proposal, they would go up to 510. As I continue, I want to um, affirm that when we talk about numbers, we know that there are children and families behind these numbers. But just for the point of efficiency, we're just going to be talking just regular numbers. Um, Shawano right now is at 76% 76, 76 free and reduced lunch. It's already at 500, which is a sweet spot as far as the numbers go. I have, 
personally, I am elected from the Northwest area, although we represent all of Shawnee Mission. Um, I have not heard from anyone in the current feeder pattern for Shawano that wants to change. Um, it's currently balanced, and I, the issues, I think, are overcrowding and supporting a new school are in a different part of the district. Um, if this change is made, um, it will take away the vast majority of single-family homes in that area. Um, and so I'd like to look at some alternatives for that. Um, this change would also increase the free and reduced lunch. I think I already said that by 5%. Um, there are uh, the apartments are across the street. I understand that. There are approximately 85 students. Um, the other part of Shawano that is, according to this proposal, supposed to go to Mill Creek has 74 students. So, as a what if, um, I don't think the, that Shawano needs to change. Moving forward to Benninghoven, one of the district's proposals and one of the reasons was overcrowding at Benninghoven. Now, I've heard from people, why didn't we build Benninghoven bigger? Because 400 to 450 to 550 is the sweet spot for an elementary school. The current proposal, in my opinion, cuts up neighborhoods. Right now, there are, as I said, 74 students that from, are from Shawano that are supposed to go to Mill Creek. If I look at the map of the proposed Benninghoven, there are 50 students that are supposed to go to Krista McAuliffe and 17 students to go to Mill Creek. So that would be 50 plus 17, which would be 67. So if Shawano doesn't change, then there are, you could look at it as 74 spots at Mill Creek. 67 is very close to 74, seven apart. And as we know, on a day-to-day -day basis, as you stated, it changes. So Mill Creek, if, this, if Shawano doesn't change, and Benninghoven goes to Mill Creek, and the Autumn Park and Timberstone, is that the name? Correct. Stay, and they get their own choice. We don't know how many more students would go to Mill Creek or to McAuliffe. I guess it would go to Benninghoven, right? Benninghoven and Krista McAuliffe. Benninghoven would be at 477. They would stay the same because they would have that many less students. And Mill Creek would be at 457. Again, it, it establishes the feeder pattern. Um, and I also remember in the last two years when we have been talking to Mill Creek at staff meetings, at uh, PTAs, we've been talking at Benninghoven, at PTAs, at staff meetings, and also the groundbreaking and the ceremony to celebrate Benninghoven. I remember that it was said, Look out if you're on the southern border of Benninghoven because it looks like you're going to be moving into Mill Creek because there is space at Mill Creek. Um, I think we should honor that as a what if um, and honor that the people that are at Benninghoven would all go into Mill Creek. Um, as far as Rising Star, the overcrowding at Rising Star, I mean, we're offering what ifs here. 
I have driven this many times. I have attended the public meetings. I have listened to constituents that have called me, emailed me, stopped me in stores. And I, under I understand the need to um, uh, reduce the number of students at Rising Star Elementary. I drove it again last night, and I would like to offer up as a what if. I got a point, sorry guys. If you go to the western border of McAuliffe and Rising Star, and you go to 83rd Street and Lackman, 83rd Street traveling east at that point, for those of you who live in that area, you know it, there is a park to the south of it, correct? And there, the, the subdivisions, they're not even a subdivision, it's not even named, there's no pool, maybe there is a name, I don't know, um, are all to the south. So if you take that cluster that looks like the state, like a boot or like the state of Louisiana, whatever you want to say, north of 83rd Street, I know I am bringing this up now after the revisions have been done, but that could be a portion of students that could go to Krista McAuliffe. I don't know how many students are there. I'm putting you on the spot, and I don't mean to do that. I don't know how many students are there. And then you have, at the bottom, when you take the southern boundary of Rising Star and transfer those students to Sunflower, that will also bring down the numbers. Um, I just had it, 36 in that area. So that brings down Rising Star. Under the current proposal, Rising Star free and reduced lunch rate goes from 56 down to 52% with the current proposal. Um, so basically, my what if is that this is a very complicated proposal that doesn't need to be so complicated. Nobody likes to change boundaries. We've said that on numerous occasions. I start with the premise that I don't think Shawano boundaries should change. Because if we do, that will take away all this, uh, the vast majority of single-family homes in that area. Um, if you start there and you don't change Shawano, then it's very easy to take the students from Benninghoven from the overcrowding and put them into Mill Creek. You can take the upper left-hand corner of Rising Star over to McAuliffe, and then you can take the 36 down below to Sunflower and even more if we need to reduce the number at Rising Star because of the incoming apartments on Quivira Road just north of 83rd Street. Do you all know where I'm talking about? There's, um, it's to the east of the cemetery. Am I saying that right? I'm looking. I got heads nodding. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. We've got... Multi, uh, we've got multifamily units coming in at that area, so at some point in time we're going to have to have more um, space. But even putting that aside, thinking about that here, all of these numbers basically balance out because if you change this, then Rising Star would be at, at 544. Shawana would be at 500. Mill Creek would be at 457. And Benninghoven would be at 477, all within the 450 to 550. So they're all balanced. In the future, I don't know what to do, but the current proposal, in my opinion, doesn't handle that either because we've got the balancing. Now, there are some different numbers, and I'm throwing a lot of numbers at you. Um, I don't know um, what my other 
board members are thinking. Um, I was asked to bring this up um, after the revisions had done, and I wanted to discuss this openly and publicly with you all. I, I think I talked to Brad today that I had driven it, um, but I haven't talked to the rest of you about this because obviously we have to do this in public. Um, I would like to offer these what-ifs as an alternative, um, I, recognizing that school's out. That makes it super tough. Um, but also knowing that um, we want to make the right decision. And those are my what-ifs for tonight. But that's my opinion. And the one piece that I, I do not have an answer for that I would have to go back to the drawing board would be to see what the cutoff would need to be to pick up roughly anywhere from 75 to 100 kids mm -hmm. out of Rising Star to move to McAuliffe if that indeed was the, the direction you all wanted me to look. Well, so that I have some idea, um, we spoke at the beginning of the presentation about the ability for students to move if they chose in the coming year but this does not become whatever we decide doesn't really become effective for the uh, until the following year so am I correct in saying that there is not necessarily urgency in approving a boundary proposal tonight if we want to allow families to move for the 17-18 school year I do believe there is urgency both for family planning as well as staffing and transportation for 17-18 if the <clears throat> board suggested that we don't make any moves until 1819, there would not be that urgency. What are the consequences if we don't make any adjustments until 1819? The consequences would be um, rising stars still very overcrowded. Uh, they will be over 600. They have been for years. Uh, we can absolutely make that work. Benninghoven's going to be really tight, which we've already discussed at the beginning. Um, they will not be able to have pre-K services for the 17-18 school year. Colleagues, do you have anything to add or I'm missing? The, the issue in relation to Rising Star, you referenced this, Mrs. Mack, is the 490-plus uh, units going in on Quivira in the Rising Star attendance area. Mm -hmm. um, those units... Um, will be opening uh, very quickly and certainly will be open uh, during this next school year. Again, the 490 plus units there in the Rising Star attendance area. So that's an issue of, of how many students do we see and how do we handle uh, that issue. Also, please remember, there are really kind of two distinct components of the proposal. So we have the area we're talking about currently, but we also have the East Antioch mm -hmm. Little Park area as well is kind of a separate component. So anything that, <coughs> excuse me, we would do with, with Shawano obviously impacts everything west of 435. But again, our uh, other part of the proposal is East, East uh, Antioch and Little Park, entirely different conversation. And in addition to that, when we get to the action item of the boundaries, I, I would propose that we do split at least the East Antioch um, proposal out. I don't know what we're going to do with the what-ifs that we've talked about tonight. 
Um, but I do have a, uh, if Benninghoven is going to be opening in August, is there a concern with overcrowding at Benninghoven? We've addressed that by using the three pre-K rooms. Traffic will be definitely tighter. Parking lots will be definitely tighter. Night events will be um, be a struggle in regards to parking. And then the pre-K rooms will not be able to be utilized. Uh, school's out at this point. So how do we communicate changes to parents tomorrow versus how do we communicate changes that we might make uh, at the June meeting? So uh, hypothetically, if the board approved the full proposal tonight, we are prepared tomorrow morning to um, deliver a, a form, if you will, to all of those families via email and via the Skylert system. They could also pick them up at the buildings if they needed paper copy access. And they uh, will have a two-week window to inform the district on whether they want to move for 1718 or whether they would be waiting until 1819 to do that. So we're, pre we're prepared to do that. Either way, though, we would notify families via the Skylert mm -hmm. system. Is that also available? I mean, let's, hypothetically, let's say that we wanted some time to study Ms. Mack's proposals mm -hmm. and have you run some numbers. If we voted on it at the June meeting and you, the Tuesday after our June meeting, uh, do we still have schools that are open? Do they, are there still the same opportunities for communication? Our elementary schools um, actually close June the 1st. So we would be able to communicate it via district level, but we wouldn't be able to have that uh, the ability for um, families to talk to principals and or secretaries at building level, mm -hmm. that, that option would not be available until buildings reopen on, I believe, July 25th, off the top of my head. I mean, point, we can electronically communicate as sure. much as we want. Well, I'd like to get this right. Mr. Stratton. <clears throat> when you explain the choice feeder uh, option with McAuliffe. Um, can you help me understand how that would be affected if um, this decision is not made in its entirety now? Because one of the feedback we did hear was how positive that option would be. Would that also postpone that for a year because it's not needed if we don't make the changes? That is correct. And one of the, the big questions that I got is why Krista McAuliffe and why not Rising Star? And then also, why not Lenexa Hills? And to, to be just completely honest in regards to this, all three of those schools are West feeders, and all three of those would be proposed to Northwest. So if 50% of those three schools all chose to go to Northwest, it would unbalance our middle and high school feeders. So that's why not all of them, as, as far as the original answer. Um, why we chose McAuliffe is that we had a large number of... Uh, orange cards at the original meeting, as well as email input from current McAuliffe parents not impacted by the boundary. Um, we had the concern of split feeder, a large number of split feeder out of the Wedgwood area, but we also had the existing McAuliffe boundary saying, make us part of Northwest. We mm -hmm. want to be a Northwest feeder. Mm -hmm. So for my clarification, all students at McAuliffe would have the choice. In the revised proposal, that is correct. Okay. Or the option of 
what what you see on the screen where just the high school line would have that choice. And at the beginning, you used the uh, Trailwood as the example of the other split feeder. Um, what has been our experience there, even though they're given the option to choose to go, I'll say north to east, are they all choosing it or it just depends on their peers? And Well, we only have one year of data. Oh, okay. No, Dan. And it's uh, I think it was only six kids, and I don't I don't know the answer okay. to that. And I could definitely would, get it, it for you. It would take more years to, to to watch that trend out. I was hoping right. we could learn something from. Thank you, Ms. Mac. And I was going to ask as well. The broken arrow would have the opportunity to yes, that would be a split. Feeder so any well. split feeder, so it would be consistent throughout okay. the district. Thank you. Uh, that would be my recommendation if we were going to go with the choice. I would make it consistent. Thank you. And, and thank you for all your work on this. I know you've done tremendous amount of work. I just have another question. That, Mr. Stratton. Um, the process has been excellent, meaning mm -hmm. the ability to uh, have these uh, forums where we interacted with the parents. And uh, as a board member, it gave me a chance to speak to many in the room and, and got input. Um, I don't live in that part of the district, so my learning curve was steep, but that really helped because I get to learn the lay of the land. Secondly, you were very good about taking us around that area, and so all the board members got a firsthand look at that, that area. Um, and then we received the cards, and then we received the emails. Some came to us, same came to you. If you were to just pull a percentage out of the air, would you say, yeah, of all those concerns, we were able to satisfactorily address 67 to 80% of those? I know that's pulling I don't know that I can give you an accurate percentage. Um, as with any boundary change, we absolutely made several people happy. Mm -hmm. um, po postponing this decision are going to make several people unhappy. Um, so yeah. toss the coin. There's always going to be happy people, and there's always going to be people that are not happy about a boundary change. Okay. They're emotional. They're tough for families. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it's difficult. Even families that want to move, it's still sometimes very emotional. And, and as we talk further about transfers, close to transfers, et cetera, um, I understand that our middle schools and our high schools are still open for transfer. And there is a possibility after the boundary proposals are settled, if there is room, there is a possibility for transfers into schools that have space? Or is that too soon to have that discussion? So the, the transfer window for 1718 is closed. closed. It opened March 1 through April 30. Okay. Generally speaking, though, middle school and high school boundaries are, uh, if, if students are in good standing, we accept middle school and high school boundaries. And as long as we maintain balance, and to my knowledge, I can only speak for the last three, we haven't declined any based on balance, and I don't think that the Shawnee Mission School District has for many years. Thank you. I had one question about the uh, Ryan Benninghoven. Maybe this is what you're talking about, that southern border of Ryan Benninghoven, how we have that little cutout of that mm -hmm. one neighborhood. I think I, I was an email today that came um, to my attention about um, Blackfish Parkway. Mm -hmm. Can you just speak to that? Is that because I think her concern was that there's three different, if you follow the trail of Blackfish Parkway, you basically have three different school communities. Right. And I know that there's different areas because I researched it today. So look, there are different areas. If you look at Lowell, you know, over on the, on the east side, um, there's pl places where you can travel up and down short distances on Lowell. And I think it's John Deemer, um, Tomahawk. 
Yeah, Tom. Santa Fe Trail. Yeah, oh, well, it's right around the bar. Yeah, there, yeah. Right. Uh, Lowell, yeah. So anyway, there, I know there's other pockets where we have, I mean, obviously, we have pockets where four attendance areas, you know, at 75th and Knoll. There's four different ones right there. So anyway, if you could just speak to that a little bit, though. So I also received the email, and I also talked to a parent at one of the community forums with the concern about, um, this one pertains specifically to baseball, that I'm going to have kids on my baseball team that attend three different elementary schools now. Um, however, there was a large amount of input from that particular, especially, um, I'm going to get the subdivision wrong, but seven, seven Hills Farm, possibly, 71st and Plum specifically, um, a large amount of input from that particular area that said, I'm closer to Mill Creek and I'm closer to Benninghoven. And, and that's true for some of the Wedgwood um, addition as well. But 71st and Flum is absolutely no question that particular area were closer to those two schools. And so we listened to that input and put, left them at Benninghoven. And again, they could have also gone to Mill Creek. We were trying to maintain balance between um, leaving them at Benninghoven provided balance between those three schools right then in that area and I think that that the the, the Shawano uh, the uh, uh, that northernmost border that's that we were proposing to go to Shawano um, we I talked why not Mill Creek for that for that and you had uh, given me a rationale on that so if you would speak to so that. Um, if you just move the little purple box to Mill Creek you would actually jump a boundary mm -hmm. if, if you hadn't if we hadn't moved the Shawano kids so you would actually jump over Shawano boundary into Mill Creek and nowhere in the district have we jumped a boundary to move kids mm -hmm. and can you speak to at all the free and re reduced count like over the past five years at all about Shawano I can like, um, and again, this date is going to be a little bit different than a building report card because we took a snapshot on February the 20th, and again, that changes dailies. But audited from Shawano for the last five years, starting in 2012, it was 82.1, 2013, 83.6, 2014, 80.7, and 2015, 83%, and 2016, 80.1%. So it does fluctuate in our proposed is not significantly different than um, what our That's audited been. numbers are from the state. And, and Shawano is not our highest. Free it is reduced. not our highest. Comanche Elementary is actually our highest. Okay. Any other questions from anybody over here? Okay. No other questions? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, C3 is our legislative update. Dr. Henson. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Dr. Stuart Little, our district lobbyist, is uh, with us in the audience tonight. And also, uh, Dr. Rick Aker, uh, we're going to present to us tonight uh, what we know in relation to a legislative update. Uh, I'll stop there, Dr. Little, and let you explain where we are currently. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dr. Henson. Um, as we very well know, the Kansas legislature has been charged by the Kansas Supreme Court to create a new finance formula to fund K-12 education. The court set a deadline of June 30, 2017 to accomplish this task. Folks, they have less than six weeks. Even though the court did not set a dollar amount, the new formula 
must adequately and equitably fund Kansas schools. Failure to pass a formula, or if the formula does not satisfy the court, the court could declare that there is no constitutional funding mechanism to fund schools and potentially order the closure of our Kansas schools. And now with that said, <laughs> I do not believe our schools will close. I believe we'll open in August as scheduled. I believe our legislators collectively will put together a formula that meets the demand of the court. There's too much at stake here. Over 460,000 kids in the state of Kansas education is at risk to not have a formula that will meet the court's order. Over the last few weeks, we have reached out to our local House of Representatives and Senators, both Democrat and Republican alike, in an effort to cooperate and collaborate with them as they move a school finance bill forward. Currently, there are two bills that have been created, House Bill 2410 and Senate Bill 251. They both have one thing in common. They resemble the old school finance formula. At this time, Dr. Stuart Little, our lobbyist for the district, will give a more extensive legislative update as well as an overview of these bills and their potential impact on the Shawnee Mission School District. Please keep in mind that the remarks made this evening are a moment in time where our legislature is at this point and subject to change. As a matter of fact, I think many of them are still working this evening as we speak. After Dr. Little gives his presentation, we stand ready and willing to answer your questions. Dr. Little. Thank you, uh, Dr. Rather, Dr. Henson, uh, members of the board. I'm happy to be here tonight because I'm not in Topeka. And I'm uh, <laughs> not sitting on the hard benches up in the top of the house watching them debate another tax conference committee report. Um, I will uh, briefly Echoing Dr. Atha's comments, uh, we're in the middle of a process right now. Um, luckily, on day 98, we are in the middle of the process. We've reached that point, at least. And there are a lot of things that are unknown about what's going on. We sat in edu Senate education today as they were working on the Senate education bill, and there were several moments where today was nothing but questions. Literally, we spent two hours asking questions about what was in the bill. And there must have been multiple times where Mark Tallman and I who were sitting across the room with each other and looking and said, was that in the bill? We're trying to figure out. But we're still, they're still talking through what's in the bill. So we're, that's the stage we're at. So if you expect this to be done in a week, don't. It's going to take a while. They've still got to a lot of things to do. So I'll talk about where we are in the process, talk about both bills. Um, there is a... a, a a classic political dance going on in Topeka now between a budget 
school finance, and tax policy. And you've got a group of people that want to pass school finance first so you know how much money we need to fund schools. You've got people that want a tax policy passed so we can get that in the books. We know how much money that we have to spend, and then we can work school finance within that. And then the third component of that is the budget. How are you going to address the budget? What's going to, what needs to get wrapped up once you're done? Because there were a whole bunch of things in the budget that have to be big, fixed paying capers, not paying capers, all kinds of policy issues that have to get worked out once that's done. So all of these things are working together. <coughs> Excuse me. They have tried at least four or five times to run tax bills, and they get derailed because people want to do education first. So we've got two education bills there. We roughly know how much money we need in those two bills. Next year it's under $200 million right now. And the tax bill that they're running tonight theoretically could fund that, very likely, but it'd be very close. But they're, they're in the same ballpark. So depending, hopefully they're done while I'm done talking. I won't have to follow on Twitter. Some of our Twitter friends can be keeping track of what's going on. But um, they may, they'll be done at some point this evening, and we'll see if that begins to move the process forward. Um, I will say that um, the bill, the House bill was created 2410. Uh, it began as a big bill, $750 million over five years, $200 a year in the base, $150 million a year added in to the process. It was um, a, a big bill that, that was put forward by the committee, the beginning stages of the committee process. and. Were, uh, we were fortunate to have uh, Larry Campbell from Johnson County who chaired the committee, but uh, equally important to having Representatives Rooker and Representative Lusk from the Shawnee Mission School District as a part of that process. And so there were a lot of things that were put in the bill early on that were uh, complex, more complex than they needed to be, and a lot of changes got narrowed down back in over the course of time. The, the bill became simpler, but at the same time, the money became smaller. And that's kind of how the direction went. It started out big. It's gotten smaller. And that's a bit about how the process worked. The district testified uh, as neutral on the bill when it first came out because there were a lot of things in it. Once the bill was finalized and passed out of committee, we communicated with members of our delegation that we support the legislation. There are things we'd like to see in it, and Dr. Ath and I will talk about those when we get to the end, but we're supportive of the bill. One of the things that changed in the, the bill was put together originally right at the end of the regular session, and then they began to work on it again when we came back in the veto session, which we're in the fourth week now. Um, the legislature hired a former Senator Jeff King as legal counsel to the education finance process and has, frankly, by all sides, been tremendously helpful in the process just in terms of kind of a third voice that they could turn to and say, how would this look? How would this be uh, treated? He basically gave them a couple of pretty clear pieces of advice. Spend money and target it where the Supreme Court said you need to do that. There needs to be more money. And in particular, it needs to be targeted at that 25% of students who are not performing at achievement levels of the rest of the kids in the state. And he also said the more money you spend, the more freedom you're going to have to do other things you want to do, make other adjustments, make other policy choices. Because as you get to satisfying the adequacy that the court expects, um, you will have more freedom to do those kinds of things. Now, um, how much money they need to add is anybody's guess, but um, the, the, the will at this point has been they are going to spend more money, not $750 million over five years. It's going to be smaller than that, uh, but that is where the process stands right now. The Senate put together their bill very late, just kind of last week. 
that is modeled after the House bill with some adjustments into it. They spend a little bit less money. They do not target any at-risk money or any additional money for at-risk, which the House did. And so that kind of sets it apart. We testified in support of that bill, again, as well, because it did both of those bills, because it did a variety of things. It creates a formula. We don't need the block grant anymore. It's time to move forward and make adjustments. It increases the base state aid per pupil. It spends more money at, at risk. It accounts uh, all day kindergarten as one child, which is a, is, a, is a great improvement. And there are things in there, things in there that we supported in both of those bills. Uh, I included in the report I sent to you all um, a, a comparison of the two bills. I would mention that I... Um, it's still changing. It's still evolving. I was terrified of putting something down in writing with things, everything still in flux, but I went ahead and did that with the promise that you all would understand as things change. But I would note that even KASB has not done a comparison yet. So we're all afraid of making decisions, uh, at least on the last round of the bills. So the Senate bills out there, it has been working. They will debate the bill tomorrow, amend the bill tomorrow. The chairman today said we will stay as long as we need to tomorrow to get the bill passed out of committee. So it may be a very long day in that committee. And of course, that committee is being chaired by uh, Senator Jim Denning, who's one of our senators. Also on the committee are Senators Bollier and Senator Petty. So we've got a lot of representation there and are doing a, a good job. It is a different bill in the Senate because then there's you can go through and see the plans uh, and the differences. It has a little lower base state aid next the, in the next year and the, and the future year. And then the out years, the next three years, both of them fund two years and then say the next three years are going to be funded based on CPI Midwest, which is the regional consumer price index, and it increases. It's about 1.5% right now based on the, <clears throat> the average. So that's how it's going to be increasing. It has all-day kindergarten, a little more money for uh, special education, more money for four-year-old at risk, although not as much as, as necessary because uh, as lots of the conversation has gone, that's a place where you can be targeting a lot of money to deal with potential at-risk early on at that four-year-old at-risk level. And I suspect before all is said and done, there will be more money targeted at-risk and at four-year-old at-risk as that gets to what the court's talking about. Um, there are a, a variety of other components, some small changes made to to, uh, the local option budget references to economic. There's two things that I would mention about the Senate bill that have stirred up uh, a bit of uh, discussion. All of a sudden, the, the education committee in the last week has filled up with well-dressed utilities lobbyists, uh, and that is because uh, Senator Denning included in his bill a funding component that would impose a, a, a fee on individuals for their utilities, gas, electric, and water, and then uh, commercial of $2.25 a month, and then commercial entities would pay a $10 fee. So the district would pay one $10 fee to use uh, the utilities, and that generates $150 million, plus there's a $125 fee for irrigators. And so that's in the bill, and that's generated a lot of concern from utilities. A bill doing the uh, – th this is not new. This has been getting talked about, though. So I think that this may become part of a final school finance formula uh, at this point. The other component in the bill, uh, the Senate bill prohibits local governments from abating two things, the 20 mills in the future going forward for uh, economic development purposes. You could, they could not abate the 20 mills, nor could they abate capital outlay. And um, that is, it generates a little bit of additional money for the state. It has generated a great deal of opposition from local units of government who use this as an economic development tool, primarily on the, uh, the 20 mils abatement. It's, it's, it's larger 
and that's money that just kind of goes into the state and fills the big pool. Uh, in the testimony that we provided, we supported and urged the committee to, to uh, leave the prohibition against abating the uh, capital outlay, the 20 mills, that's a bit of a different story, but the capital outlays, direct dollars that are directly come to the district related to increased student count that would otherwise not be included. Uh, that's a kind of a summary of both of the bills. The House bill is sitting on the House floor waiting to be worked someday. And uh, it is, there's nothing uh, going on. I think they're waiting to see what happens on tax. The Senate wants to kick their bill out of committee tomorrow and then hopefully get it moving forward. And then we would theoretically have a conference committee between the House and the Senate education folks to put that together. There are a couple of things going forward. Dr. Atha, I don't know if you wanted to talk about base and those kind of things. Yes, I'd I, uh, like to talk to you a little bit about uh, some things that we think would Im improve both of the bills. Uh, since uh, both of the bills uh, parallel uh, the old uh, school finance formula, uh, I think we'd like to see a higher base that would benefit all kids in the state of Kansas. Each dollar that the uh, base state aid per pupil is increased would, would only help all 286 school districts in the state. And I'd like to take you back to 2008-2009 when the base state aid per pupil was $4,400 per student. When we went through um, the recession, economic downturn, if you will, and our legislature reduced taxes, uh, the base state aid dropped to 38.38 per student. During the block grant, the last two years, it's been 38.52. So both of these bills raised the base to $4,006. Is that correct, Stuart? In the first year, in and the then the year. House bill goes up to about 4128 in the second year, and the Senate bill goes to 4080. So um, I really think that the base state aid needs to get pretty rapidly up to that 4400 and you will hear people all over the state arguing that that base state aid should ultimately get up to around $5,000 per student. But keep in mind the base state aid going up, each dollar it goes up benefits all 286 school districts to include Shawnee Mission. Second area I'd like to emphasize um, is more money to be targeted for at risk. The Shawnee Mission School District <coughs> has 28% of our 27,500 students that are on free lunch. And an additional 10% that's on reduced lunch. We also have 3,300 English language learners and growing. These students, for the most part, most English language learners are at risk. Many, not all, of our free lunch students or reduced lunch students are at risk, but many are. And we need to be able to have it. It costs more. The research will tell you it costs more to educate 
children of poverty, children that are, my, are English language learners. And I, I applaud Representative Rooker in the House bill. She increased, recommended, and increased the weighting for at-risk students in that weighting. Uh, we need to have more targeted interventions for our kids because we have schools we have schools that have as many as 80% free and reduced lunch here in Shawnee Mission. That was difficult for me to get my arms around when I came here two years ago. That was commonplace where I came from out west. But to have our demographics, our changing demographics here in Shawnee Mission, and certainly I believe we embrace our diversity, we embrace all of our students, and we believe all students can achieve in our, in our schools, and they do. So those are a couple of things that I would like to stress uh, that uh, we would hope our legislature would strongly consider uh, increasing um, base state aid as well as the at-risk. Stuart, you have something as well. The only other thing I might mention, and I, and I agree with Dr. Ray, I think the, the base is what everybody benefits from. The court is looking for that. I really do believe, more importantly, the House bill added, bumped up 3% the at-risk uh, weighting. cost $23 million to do that. Then 3% bumps it up. I would suspect that the court has an expectation of a little more effort than that and maybe something a little different and a little more targeted than just bumping the base, uh, bumping that, that weighting up. And because these are, these are, from the court's perspective, these are identifiable specific categories of students that need assistance. And just going up with the weighting, I think, is something that eventually we're going to get to the point where it's going to be a little bit more targeted than that. The other thing, of course, for a long time, for since the last school finance formula, uh, is that the district and many other school districts have utilized and benefited from increases in the local option budget. And that's been a fundamental part of funding this, the, the school finance formula. And as you all, particularly those of you that were here in 2004 and 5, when we went through the last round of litigation, uh, when we entered that, the, the LOB was at 25, and it is at 33 now. And that's part of how when you increase funding throughout the formula, that's one of the ways that, that, gener that revenue is generated as well. We included in the testimony that the district submitted on both bills supportive of including those increasement, those enhances, not taking the cap off, but increasing the local option budget and fully equalizing it as the court requires in the, in the last, whichever one is, Gannon 2, maybe, uh, when that, the last time that was out. So I think the bay, increasing the base at risk, much more targeted and having a, a local option factored in at some point are some of the last things that are hanging out there, I think, assuming both these bills begin moving forward. I'd be happy to answer questions if anyone has them. Mr. Stratton. Uh, when Senator Jeff King presented his recommendations, one that he talked about was the input-output uh, 
conversation that came from the court order. Are we still hearing that? I'm not going to hear you saying about the measurable outputs. You, you, yeah, that is, that is true. Uh, that is one of the things that he has several times talked about. It came up in the Senate, but the Senate school finance bill has an interesting component within it in that it actually sunsets four of the weightings in 2020, high and low enrollment weighting, at-risk, bilingual, and I forget what the fourth one is. It's on my list there that uh, you can read. But it, four of those key weightings are sunset in 2020. And it, between now and then, it's going to have legislative post-audit and the State Board of Education do an assessment of uh, school districts that are uh, that are performing at a level that is that might be considered adequate by having students that are and they have criteria listed in the bill it's graduation rates ATC scores college and career ready math and reading level and it, it's not committed the state to do that but it says you at the state board of education need to look at this and start looking at outcomes and we're going to sunset the weightings just so you can you can Think about as you're analyzing this, looking more at outputs. And uh, and uh, Jeff King, as legal counsel for the legislature, has acknowledged a couple times when questions have arisen. When I when he says I can't tell you how much money you need to put in, he says if you're putting in money to, that are helping you get to adequacy, that's exactly what the court's looking for. So that is now part of the the conversation. And then the other question I have is. Um, Obviously, your chart is great, and there'll be a lot of horse trading between the two columns in the chart, uh, the different dynamics when we finally get uh, the final bill. But it still comes down to conference committee. Who, at this point, do we know is on the conference committee? Oh, see, now that's an interesting question. Um, the, the, in the Senate, uh, the Senate educate. Well, you've got you've got a Senate Select Committee on School Finance, and uh, Senator Denning is the chair. Um, 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 escapes me. Who's the vice? Carolyn McGinn, I believe, is vice chair, and then uh, Senator Hensley is the ranking Democrat, and then in the House committee, the House K-12 Education Finance Committee, which is not the Education Committee. Uh, Larry Campbell is the chair of that. Um, uh, Representative Timish is the vice chair. He's from Western Northwestern Kansas. And then uh, Ed Trimmer from uh, Winfield is the ranking Democrat. So theoretically, that's who would negotiate the school finance bill. Mm -hmm. Thanks. If we follow procedure. Ms. Hila. Dr. Little, with all of the tax committee, budget committee, education committee, all fighting, are, are, is there dialogue going on at all? Because it's like the cart before the horse. Usually, if you're trying to do a tax plan before you figure out how much education is going to cost or they don't care. But I, I'm thinking that they're going to be a roadblock that's going to probably not be something that the courts would accept. Well, there is a that that's... <clears throat> that's all that's happening now is conversation at this point. Um, because really, I, th I think the challenge, and I think anybody that works in Topeka would tell you this, they can get 63 and 21 votes to pass a school finance formula. That could be done pretty easily at this point. You've got to then be able to have 63 and 21 to fund it. And those are, in some ways, those are different people. And that's, you have to figure out, and then you throw in the third factor 
the governor who has already vetoed a tax bill that is almost exactly like the one that they're debating tonight, and the legislature failed to override him. And so you've got to balance out, and it is a reasonably complex organizational task, and it would be difficult for anyone to pull that off in terms of managing those the, that, that body to do that. So, yes, they are talking. It is incredibly complex because it's not necessarily the same people that are going to pass the formula and the funding uh, to make that happen. So they've got to figure out how to navigate that. So stay tuned, I guess, till what the session Or just tune it out, <laughs> and then and eventually it'll, it'll, it'll end. It before. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you very much. Thank you. We move to C4, Dr. Henson, Budget Workshop. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Dr. Eighth is going to lead the charge here tonight in relation to uh, information on our school board budget. Okay. Uh, normally, um, uh, Russ Knapp, our chief financial officer, would present uh, the budget workshop information to you this evening. But uh, we had a daughter that graduated from Shawnee Northwest and was active in soccer, and they had their soccer banquet this evening. <laughs> and it was real important that he was there to support his senior daughter. So, continuing uh, tonight is Alison Starowski, and she will, she's very capable, and will give the update this evening. Yes, uh, I like to think you're getting the A team tonight, not the B team with Russ Knapp. So. <laughs> um, yes, tonight for you we have the 2017-2018 preliminary budget, um, which is consisted of about $360 million next year. We have about 37 funds that we break down into about five categories that are listed up there. Um, the supported funds make up almost two-thirds of our budget. We also have some some flow-through funds, uh, self-supported and capital and debt retirement and federal funds that we'll get to later in this presentation. The supported funds are uh, funds that we use for general operations of the, bu of the budget um, for the district. Uh, this is our, most of our salaries and benefits come from here. All of our uh, instructional supplies come from this budget. Um, this also includes other funds, such as our at-risk and bilingual funds, that are supported by transfers from the general and supplemental general funds. Um, the main revenue sources for the operating funds consist of state aid, local taxes, and some reimbursable fees that the board approves. Um, when building this budget, as we just discussed, we don't uh, exactly know what our funding is going to be for next year, but we did assume that the block grant would continue since we needed to start somewhere. Um, so that means the 2016-17 funding is based off that block grant amount. It also assumes that the LOB would stay the same. But we do anticipate about a $2.1 million increase in revenue, which is primarily from special ed, which is from additional personnel that we'll be staffing from the Arrowhead Day School and also from uh, special ed transportation that we get 80 per 80% reimbursement from the state for. Um, also included will be uh, reimbursables that the district is seeing increases due to fees, um, particularly 
some increases in the facility rental fees, and uh, we added two fee-based fee uh, preschool programs at two of our elementaries for next year. So this slide kind of demonstrates the differences between the House Bill 2410 and the Senate Bill 251 that they just discussed. Um, assuming the block grant, we're only going to see a little bit of increase in funding, which would be about $221,000. If a House Bill 2410 does pass, we would see about a $13.9 million increase. That would be primarily from a, a general state aid increase of about $11 million. However, that would decrease the uh, declining enrollment by about 50% for next year. They also um, are going to replace the cost of living budget with the local excellence budget, as you can see there, and then rename uh, the local option budget the local foundation budget. If Senate Bill 251 passes, that we would receive a little bit less funding than that House Bill 2410 which we anticipate about $1.7 million less, or about $12.2 million increase over the block grant. So in total, we uh, are estimating about $217 million in our supported funds um, revenue for next year. As far as the expenditures go, uh, we did uh, we have not included any salary increases since negotiations, of course, hasn't concluded. Um, but we did budget for some professional growth, which is just column movement for teachers that are um, getting additional uh, education credits. We have increased our recapture fallout, which is actually a negative amount in our budget, which allows us to recapture any fallout from uh, vacancies that have gone unfilled throughout the year, also uh, turnover savings that we've had from salaries that come in less than we anticipated. The, um, it also assumes that a health cap of $600, which if you remember last year we started the year with a health cap of $587. This assumes $600 for the entire year. Um, the transportation is increasing about $2.1 million, which is based off that new bus contract that we've approved. And the supplies and services will increase about $1.8 million, which is um, spread out throughout the budget, but primarily within the curriculum and instruction areas. So as you can see, here's a little graphical description for you. Um, that shows the breakout of where all we're spending our money. And primarily, um, the operating budget is 83.8% of our budget is for salaries and benefits, which is $184 million. Um, this is uh, where we stand with our fund balances. Um, we, in that second column there is the Restated original uh, original 2016-17 budget, which uh, is restated since uh, when we originally published, we did not include those salary increases that were gone into effect this last fall. So we restated those budgets to include that. 
um, our projected 2016-17, we're estimating a $1.3 million deficit. This does include uh, contributing $500,000 into the workers' compensation, which is a state mandate that we increase those workers' compensation reserves to have a higher balance. For next year, um, again, we're looking at revenues of $217 million, expenditures of $220 million with a $2.9 million deficit. <coughs> so our balance, as uh, shown as a percent of, a of our expenditures, is 5% for next year, which would barely cover a month of expenditures. The next category is our flow through funds to the state. Um, the declining enrollment and cost of living are two funds that we are able to assess local taxes, um, but we, the state will give us money in return, um, and we send that money onto the state. So it's a kind of a flow through, um, which allows a, the, the state to give us more money, even though we're returning it back to them. Capers is done the same way. Um, we're expecting $21 million next year, which uh, the state will give us and immediately take it back. They won't even let us hold it long enough to make a penny of interest. Um, the next category is self-supported self funds. Um, these are funds that we uh, expect the revenue to equal or exceed our expenditure budget, so they are self-supporting. They don't receive any transfers from the general fund or the LOB funds, um, but they do receive revenue that are specific for that fund. So revenue includes uh, fees, um, local taxes in some cases, interest, uh, gifts, grants, and donations. And here's a listing of all of our self-supported funds. Um, our biggest are probably the food service, uh, summer school, and textbook rental fees, or funds. Uh, next category is our capital and debt retirement funds. The capital outlay fund allows us to collect local taxes to support the construction, repair, and equipment for some of our uh, buildings. Uh, the state allowed us to expand that to include software and uniforms for the district as well in recent years. Um, we also have debt retirement funds, which allows us to pay off the bond and interest that we have for the district. It also uh, allows us to pay some special assessments. Um, there's restrictions on these funds, so we won't be able to use them for operating. We can't use them for instructional purposes. We can't use them for salaries and benefits to pay teachers. These funds highly uh, rely on the assessed valuation of the district, which we are anticipating to go up 5.96% next year. So we're looking at a $3.6 billion assessed valuation for the whole district. Um, this is a breakdown of our capital outlay revenue. We're anticipating a beginning fund balance of $29 million, um, looking to get about $30 million in, in taxes from property taxes and motor vehicle taxes. Excuse me. Um, we also anticipate receiving some, some fees from Apple repair and replacements and some uh, leasing from the, the 
wireless towers, some funds from that. Um, and we do, do anticipate uh, about $2.4 million from the sale of the warehouse this year. So we're looking at a budget of about $62 million for next year. Later tonight, you'll approve the, uh, the capital outlay bond sale, um, which will bring down the uh, remaining bonding authority to zero, excuse me, zero dollars for next year, or for the future. Um, of course, you'll be able to uh, uh, sell more capital outlay bonds after that five-year period is up, um, and you'll be able to continue with that. As far as the expenditures go, um, we have about $12 million that we will spend out of capital for operations and maintenance. We do have some salaries that we pay out of the capital outlay budget, but it is strictly for operations and maintenance, maintenance staff. And then we have about $20 million that we'll be paying for the bond, which uh, covers the CAA building, um, and then the lease payments for the Apple uh, Apple devices. We are anticipating about uh, $11.5 million that we'll be spending next year as part of the um, MacBook replacement at the high schools for next year. Um, but this isn't included because that'll be paid with part of the lease payments in the future. Um, continuing on, we have the bond and interest. Um, this diagram shows the um, expected payments that we'll be, we'll be making over the next 20 years. Um, the next three years will have a little bit of an increase, but after that they'll levy, they'll level out to about $23 million each year. Um, so here are our other debt funds. That bond and interest, uh, you will see that the ending balance is increasing, but that is to cover the future years where those uh, payments will be increasing. Um, the special assessment is a fund that we use to levy taxes to help us pay the water bills that are assessed to us. The last category is our federal funds. These are federal grants that we receive directly from the federal government or through the state of Kansas. Um, they have to be used for a specific purpose, whatever they were designated for. Um, we haven't received our final allocations. We don't usually receive those until July. Um, but these are based off uh, current year allocations. Um, we have received the Carl Perkins, which did go down a little bit for next year. Um, here is the mill levy. Uh, as you can see, it has stayed pretty flat over the last 10 years, but we do expect a decrease of 1.42% um, to be about 54.16 mills for next year. Yep. Could I ask a question, sure. Allison? And this, was, this dawned on me, too, when I saw your graphic for the assessed valuation, mm -hmm. and now we're talking the mill levy here. Okay, that looks very dramatic. We're going up almost 6% of assessed valuation, but tell us how that affects what monies that we get and what our tax mill rate. Would yes, be. Um, of course. So the assessed valuation really does help to offset the mill levy that we can use. 
um, but there are still some areas that we would like to uh, that we need to capture the the assessed valuation that we're getting, such as the capital outlay we have. Um, primarily used an 8 mils capital outlay. The uh, general fund is a state mandate of 20 mils, and so those are ones that we um, keep flat. Um, as you can see, the uh, some of the ones that do change is the LOB. The LOB will be going down next year because of the assessed valuation, um, so that will help us uh, tremendously. Does that answer your question? You. Yes, thank you. Um, so to recap, again, we're looking at a budget of $360 million for next year. Um, again, about two-thirds of that is coming from our supported funds. Uh, we do see a little bit of increase, and that's to make sure we're capturing the budget authority for all of our funds. Otherwise, if we uh, were capped at whatever we set the budget for. Um, so some of those may be slightly inflated just so that we are able to spend our full amount. Um, from here on out, we have a, a budget timeline, which, of course, right now we're doing the budget workshop. Um, at the July meeting, you'll approve the uh, publication, which will go to the Kansas City Star shortly after that. There's a 10-day waiting period um, that before we can do our budget hearing, which will be set for August 14th. Um, before that board meeting, uh, members of the public can come and make comments, um, after which point, hopefully, you'll adopt it. And then uh, we'll submit to the, the state on before August 25th, which is their deadline. Um, of course, this presentation can be found online. So go out and look at it. Woo! <laughs> Any questions? Anybody? Questions? No? Okay, thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, we are to C5 technology update. Uh, uh, Mr. Drew Lane. Dr. Henson, you are. Oh, very good. This room is considerably larger than the one I'm used to, <laughs> yeah. so sitting in the back may not be a bit, not been my best choice for this evening. Um, in, in the agenda this evening, under consent, there are a number of technology purchase items, and I wanted to provide a little bit more background information on what's in there so you understood a little bit more about what you're being asked to approve this evening. There's a couple of items in there that deal with uh, network and infrastructure technology for new construction. This is equipment that is essentially needed to make sure those buildings are live in terms of data transmission. Wi-Fi for student devices, teacher devices, those types of things, connectivity back to the rest of the world, phone systems. So those are the types of, uh, those are the types of device, devices you're asked to, uh, to approve on those two items. A couple of items uh, deal with software. One is the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite. Uh, these are creative tools um, that are available to all teachers and students. They're used as part of coursework in many of our high schools, and then they're also available for other students to use should they choose to do so or have, or have a need to do so. One of the big ones in there is the Skyward uh, Student Information System. That's kind of the heart and soul of the school district. That's where we keep all of our information, all of our data on students, attendance, uh, all that kind of stuff, and it's an annual subscription. But the one I was probably most interested in bringing your, to your attention is the one where we talk about uh, we're, we're going to purchase some additional items for Project Lead the Way. And the machines that we're purchasing are, uh, Project Leads, Lead the Way in the district has been, been really successful. Uh, we've seen it grow in the district, 
and then when this space became available, it uh, is going to be included as, as coursework in, the, in, in this building. And there's some spaces upstairs, actually right above my office, where students will be engaged in those activities, but they needed computers to engage in that coursework. There's coursework in there that also has a, a little bit higher demand on the computers than has been in some of our other programs, uh, specifically dealing with CAD, advanced CAD use. And so those computers, not only are they being purchased for the new programs here, but if you were to look at the specifications for those computers, they have a few more resources than you might find in some of the other computers. And that's the reason why there's a higher demand for what those computers will do. So really, that's just kind of the background information on those items that are under the consent agenda for Technology United. It's some networking equipment to connect our buildings that uh, we're, we've constructed. A couple of software items. One is for creative creativity tools. The other is for the student information system. And then the big one is the Project Lead the Way stuff for the new spaces here in the Center for Academic Achievement. And of course, I would stand for any questions you might have. Any questions? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. We move to D1, which is uh, open forum. Open forum occurs at every regularly scheduled monthly Board of Education meeting and provides a time for individuals to address the board regarding school district issues. Although the board encourages public involvement through open forum, patrons are asked to first go through the regular school channels to obtain a response to questions or concerns. If you would like to address the board during open forum, simply complete a request card prior to the meeting. The clerk of the board, Mr. Uh, Terry Wintering, will guide you through this process. If you have written materials you would like to provide to the board, please leave them with the clerk of the board and she will distribute them. There are a few reminders about open forum that will help speakers have a constructive and positive experience when presenting their comments to the board. When making your remarks, please be civil, use respectful language, and refrain from any personal attacks. Discussion of matters related to a specific student or employee are not allowed. Instead, comments should be submitted in writing to the superintendent. Please submit your comments to three minutes and avoid repeating the concerns of a previous speaker. The board will not give a response to your comments, but if you have questions that require a response, know that someone will follow up with you at a, time, at a later time. When your name is called, please proceed to the podium and share with us your name and address, the schools your children attend, and the name of any group or organization you are representing. <coughs> please make your comments while remaining behind the podium. The Bo Board of Education welcomes and appreciates your interest in, Shawnee, in the Shawnee Mission School District as we continually strive to provide the very best education possible for our students. Okay, we have eight speakers, so we have three-minute limit. Dr. Denny, we don't, somehow, we don't have our little, it didn't make the trip over here. We don't have our little machine, our timer. But Dr. Denny has his phone at the ready, so we'll have the stopwatch <laughs> ready. And can we do the old, I guess we're going to have to revert to the old system. Of I the guess. We have a flag. Wave okay, the okay. flag card. So we'll give you, um, you have three minutes. So at two minutes, what do we do before? When you have 30 seconds left, or was it a okay. minute? 30, 30 seconds. When you have 30 seconds left, you'll do the blue. Okay, okay the blue. And then the red napkin sure. will mean uh, well, that your time fine. is up. <laughs> okay. <coughs> okay, awesome. Here we go. Okay, so first speaker tonight is Tucker Poling. Welcome. I like the new building. 
My name is. <laughs> my name you. is. Does that count my three minutes? Uh, my name is Tucker Poling. I live at three three two one West Seventy Fourth Street. Um, I came to the board at the March meeting, I believe, and asked about the innovative schools experiment. The question I asked was uh, whether the board had considered any evidence of uh, the performance of the experiment at the Apache Elementary School before extending it or deciding to extend it to Rising Star Elementary. Um, I also noted that uh, the student populations in, in those two schools uh, were relatively lower income and, and relatively higher in the percentage of students of color. And I, uh, my question also related to why those populations were chosen for this particular project. Um, while the initial response I got from the board I, I didn't feel was responsive, um, I did follow up and I appreciate, um, uh, I believe it was uh, Michelle Hubbard who provided a response. Um, uh, so I appreciate the, the email response I did get and, and President Goodburn, I appreciate you helping um, facilitate that. I, I do have concerns relating to the information uh, that I was provided. Uh, my understanding is that in the MAP scores for Apache for the one semester for which the district had data, uh, the, the math scores increased by 1%, but the reading scores decreased by 8%. And I understand that's a very uh, a small sampling size when we're only dealing with one semester. Um, but my concern is that um, you have a one percentage increase and then an eight percentage dis decrease, and it seems to me that the decrease is the only thing that's statistically um, uh, meaningful. And to me, that would raise some red flags. So going forward, um, I would encourage the board, uh, if it is going to extend this project, to do so only if the data supports that. Um, and that leads me to my question. I understand you don't answer the, the questions here, but, but I will follow up in writing. Uh, is what is the board's plan as to extending that experiment to other schools? Um, and also, I, I know that this, um, this project, this innovative schools project generally is, is the brainchild of William Daggett. And I understand that the, the school district has consulted with him and my other question is how much we as a district have paid Mr. Daggett for his consulting services um, re re relating to these projects. Thank you. Thank you. Our second speaker is John Ganser. Good evening. Uh, my name is John Ganser. I live at 13950 West, <clears throat> excuse me, 72nd Street. I just had a couple comments I want to make about the boundary uh, redistricting or the redrawing of the boundaries. Um, I've talked with Ms. Mack and uh, Dr. Hubbard on a couple occasions about this. Um, we have a couple main concerns, my wife and I do. Uh, we have a son right now who's in, just graduated first grade at Ryan Benninghoven. Uh, we have another son that will be starting kindergarten next year. Um, the our, one of our main concerns is the, the change. Um, changing now as they've started to establish friends, going to another school, reestablishing friends, and then 
being put into that split feeder system. Understood it's a choice thing option now. Um, that's all well and good when you have uh, typical kids. My son uh, has some social awkwardness. I won't get into all the details to save time tonight. Um, he's very outgoing, but he has a hard time making friends sometimes. So going into middle school and possibly losing half of his friends uh, because they're going one way, he's going another, um, that, that's a concern to us. Um, secondly, uh, we're confused as to why we're being sent uh, to a school that's farther away. We have two elementary schools, Ryan Benninghoven and Mill Creek, that are within a mile and three quarters of us. Um, Chris McAuliffe is almost three miles from us, 2.8 miles. So that doesn't make any sense as to why we're being pushed, pushed farther away. And then my final concern um, goes back to May 3rd when we had the open forum at Shawnee Mission West. I spoke with Ms. Mack and Dr. <coughs> excuse me, Dr. Hubbard, um, and when I asked about the raw data that would led to this uh, decision, um, Dr. Hubbard said, well, this is the raw data. And she had in her, her hand the slideshow with all the pictures, and the, all it has is the current enrollment um, broken into the demographic categories by, by ethnicity and free lunch and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you guys want to make a decision based on just current enrollment numbers. To me, it would make more sense to have somebody do projections. I know we all know they're going to build out west, but has anybody run the numbers <clears throat> to see you know, what the, the possibility of you know, how many families are going to have kids in elementary school? Uh, as far as I was told, those, that hadn't been done. Um, the last thing we want to do is do this wrong, and in three or four years or five years, revisit this again because we didn't get it right the first time. So I would ask that the board at least postpone your vote, reconsider, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, Mr. Ganser. Our next speaker is Stacy Hetz. Hi, I'm Stacey Hetz. I actually have two comments um, actually learned or based on this meeting. Um, my kids go to Apache. Um, based on the boundary changes, um, I wanted just to notice two things that were not brought up. Um, uh, Ms. Hubbard said a two-week notice would be going out. That's during Memorial Day. Um, and two weeks doesn't seem like a very long time to let people know. Um, also, you said the information is provided via email since school is out. A lot of families, especially some of the... Um, some of the underserved families, they don't even have internet, so this information would be difficult to get out to them. Second thing is, uh, you guys went over this um, manual for your school board. Um, I had two issues with it, um, and one of them was respect and support all final decisions made by the majority vote of the Board of Education. It sounds like you're not giving um, dissenting board members an opportunity to... Um, to voice their support or voice their um, their dis their non votes, um, and then the other one, which I just thought was an odd one, do not surprise or embarrass the superintendent or other board members in public. I just thought that was a weird one to throw in there, and I hope it's not really needed. That's it. Thank you. Okay. Next up, we have Samantha Fein Feinberg. It's good. I did it. Thank you. I'm going to lower this. OK. 
can I lower this? I'm short. Okay, never mind. I'll just use my teacher voice. Good evening. My name is Samantha Feinberg, and I teach English at Shawnee Mission East High School. Tonight, I'd like to issue several invitations. Last week, I sent an invitation to each board member to come and visit my classroom next school year when school is in session on a regular school day. Tonight, I'd like to echo that invitation publicly. Why did I extend this invitation? As we move into our superintendent search, it is critical that the board gather data and experiences to inform a sound choice in our next leader. We all know data-driven practices are the best practices. There are few ways better to gather data on the state of our district than for board members to reconnect to the classroom, the heart and soul of a school district. I'm here to argue that the classroom, the teaching and learning that takes place within must become the focal point of our district's resources and energy and that our next choice in superintendent should share this vision and reorient our district in this direction. Our new superintendent should partner with educators to architect transparent initiatives that offer qualitatively and quantitatively measurable enhancements to improve educators' teaching, students' learning, and the conditions under which we all operate. The results of these initiatives should also be communicated clearly and transparently to stakeholders. In order to accomplish this, I invite you, members of the board, people who make decisions that impact my teaching and my students' learning on a daily basis, to engage with us across classrooms in Shawnee Mission. To say that I am a powerful change agent in the lives of my students would be true. To argue that external forces limit my agency as an effective educator would also be true. I am a good teacher. I have been with this district as a teacher for 12 years. Any teacher in any district anywhere finds at times that forces outside of her control alter her role and her reach in the classroom. At times, my role and reach are enhanced because of external forces. At other times, I feel my role and reach are hindered by sometimes hasty initiatives that are delivered top-down and do not account for the vast expertise my colleagues and I possess. I issue this invitation to tap into the expertise your professional educators in this district possess. I take great pride in my work and I value my students. I love our school district and I want us to be the best. I work extremely hard to offer my students an empowering, meaningful, high-quality education. Our students deserve the best. I'm lucky to teach in a building with an administrative team who supports the role and reach of the classroom teacher. Administrators and teachers take their cues and directives from the district, from policies and initiatives approved by you, the board. Tonight, I invite you to take some of your cues from your capable and invested teachers. Come walk in my shoes, but wear flats, because I don't sit down much between 7 a.m. and 3 p.m. Our district is in a time of great transition. This transition offers incredible opportunities for our school district. While you, our board members, are weighing critical input and determining key criteria per pertinent to the search for our new superintendent, I hope that you will accept my invitation. Come see us in the schools. If you're interested in general in visiting a classroom, not even my own, several of my colleagues would also love to host you. Once again, I invite you to please be in touch at your earliest convenience and schedule a visit. Additionally, I would invite a response to my statement tonight as follow-up. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak. Thank you. Next up, we have Kim Whitman.
Hello, I'm Kim Whitman. I live at 4020 West 95th Terrace, and I have two children at Trailwood Elementary School. I'm here tonight to speak to you about trees. Yes, trees. I know you have bigger issues to discuss, so hopefully you will find that this is actually a quick and easy item to address. There are two groups of trees at the Trailwood Elementary site that the district administration plans to remove. Um, the first grouping consists of a beautiful sycamore and maple, which are located behind the existing school. Please refer to the front page of the handout. There are concrete picnic tables grouped under these trees, and it has been a very popular spot um, for classroom parties, outdoor teaching time, and, of course, shade during recess. The shade from these mature trees is truly priceless. On the second page of the handout is a site plan that shows these trees in relationship to the new building. As you can see, these mature trees are actually adjacent to the new play fields. What a huge bonus for our kids to have some built-in shade on their new play area. Unfortunately, the administration has told us that they are removing these trees. We have been inquiring about the future status of these trees for a year now. A few months ago, we were told by the administration that they would quote-unquote try and save them, knowing demolition was to begin soon. We contacted them again last week for confirmation. We were told that they could not be saved due to grade changes. The next two pages of the handout are two options on how grade can simply be modified to accommodate these amazing trees. They're fairly technical, so Mr. Denny, I think your expertise um, would be valuable in understanding them, but I will quickly point out, as they say on the top, their advantages. Option A, a proper grading design of North Playfield um, will make it more safe and useful and will also um, save those trees. The red contours are the revised. Um, option B is minimal grading changes in order to save these two beautiful trees. The second group of mature trees um, the administration plans to remove are represented on the final page of the handout. These majestic pines are located along 95th Street and are part of a memorial to kindergarten Dickie Hovey, who passed away in the 1960s. We were informed the memorial stone would be saved, but the beautiful pines would be removed. Despite being asked, no reason was provided for the removal. This zone does not have any grade changes or modifications, so why can't we save these beautiful trees? The Trailwood community values all of these trees. They provide valuable shade and numerous environmental benefits. We truly appreciate the new trees that are being planted. However, it will be a whole generation before they will provide the benefits of the big, beautiful trees that we already have. We ask the board to please help save them. If you have any questions, I would be happy to visit with you more. I would also like to receive a response from the, the board regarding your thoughts. I thank you for your time and consideration. Thank you. Next up is Lawrence McCarthy. My name is Lawrence McCarthy. I live at 7331 West 69th Street, Overland Park, Kansas. I have two daughters that will be attending Shawnee Mission North in the fall. My first question, should there be a moral turpitude clause in the next superintendent's contract? My second question is, 
Is there anyone else currently on the school board having an inappropriate relationship with any full or part-time member of the Shawnee Mission School District staff, faculty, or support personnel? Thank you very much. Next up, we have Jeff Passan. I hope I said that right. Did I say that right? I did it again. Right or wrong? Oh, well, correct me and let me know what it is. It's Passan. Thank you, though. Passan. Okay. Yes. Passan. That's going to be a tough one to follow up. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to start off by thanking the board uh, for continuing to hold these open forums. Considering uh, your recent history with regards to transparency and accountability, not to mention uh, the amount of business done behind closed doors via consent agenda, it's vital that the public is given an opportunity to air its grievances. And mine on this particular day concerns something from which I fear certain members of the school board suffer a severe deficiency. Ethics. When the public elects an official to the board, it confers an implicit trust that he or she will act in the best interest of the children in the Shawnee Mission School District, not him or herself. And I'd like to believe those of you in front of me take that responsibility very seriously. The actions of the board, unfortunately, belie that. Conflicts of interest are poisonous to public trusts. They erode confidence in those tasked with shepherding forward our best interests. They are acidic to discourse and corrupt the bodies they infiltrate to the very core. And there is a significant conflict of interest on the Shawnee Mission School Board at this very moment, one about which the board has been tellingly silent. Last year, a company called CBiz, which provides insurance and coordinates benefits for the district, hired a woman named Mallory Zila as a benefits consultant. She's the daughter of Deb Zila, who represents Shawnee Mission South on the school board. Now, in media reports, the board has denied any wrongdoing. And yet on January 23rd, 2017, as part of the consent agenda in which large amounts of district business are okayed by the board, Ms. Zila personally made the motion to renew a $40,000 insurance contract with CBiz. In district policy GAG, it clearly states expenditures should not be authorized by a district employee who has a conflict of interest. The vote passed unanimously anyway. Now, why none of the other six members of the board thought it is important to point out the blatant conflict of interest and ask Ms. Zila to remove herself from that particular vote. Yes. Uh, you, you got this right beforehand, like what, what we can and cannot talk about at Open Forum? Like yes. This naming specific people is really not allowed. So, it, Ms. Goodburn, if in the future there's a particular vote, which I, as a, a person who lives in the Shawnee Mission School District dis disagrees with and wants to publicly ask about that, am I not allowed to do that? Well, uh, again, here it's to be civil, respectful, and we don't and, and I'm being civil names. and respectful, and you I'm asking the questions member, that people here deserve board to... member, you cannot say. Okay. I will ask Ms. Zila this personally, then. Why, with such an obvious conflict, did you not recuse yourself from that vote? And as a show of good faith... That has been frittered away with misstep after misstep. Will the board vow to release all emails sent from both district and private addresses to and from employees, current and former, that discuss Mallory Zila's hiring by CBiz? Thank you, you for your time. A district employee by name. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. 
the next speaker is Heather Owsley, our last speaker tonight. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Um, I'm Heather Owsley, and I reside at 6800 Farley in Miriam. Um, I have two in elementary and one just graduated from six, so we will be at Hawker next year. Big doings over at our house. Um, I have two points this evening. Um, the first were as a result of being here for the discussion of the procedures for Board of Education members, um, specifically on page three under 5.0, expectations of inducted board members. Um, it's one of them was that board members are not allowed to speak on behalf of the board, but there was earlier conversation with regards to board members attending functions and speaking. So just from the perspective of clarifying with regards to you can speak as a member of the board, but not as the voice of the board, that might be useful information to include there. But then also, I too thought it odd, it caught my ear, the respect and support the final decision of the board. I think it is perfectly possible to both respect decisions of the board and non-concur with those decisions. And so I think it would be good to clarify that supporting the board does not mean that one supports all of the decisions of the board and that board members should be allowed to express dissent or non-concurrence on a decision if that should occur. Um, my second point was with regards to Mr. Little's discussion of what was happening in the legislature. Um, I noted that he said that the Shawnee Mission School District is supportive of both the bills in both the House and the Senate at this time. But... Um, speaking of supporting while retaining the right to non-concur, there is discussion in both bills regarding the expansion of the tax credit scholarship program, which diverts funds from the general fund to private schools, um, and those funds in the general fund would otherwise be available to fund public education. And I think it would be useful if the Shawnee Mission School District caveated their support to say, we do not support the increase or the expansion of the tax credit scholarship program as it directly impacts the money and resources that are available for public schools in the state. And that is all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those participating in open forum tonight. The Board of Education welcomes and appreciates your interest in the Shawnee Mission School District as we continually strive to provide the very best education possible to our students. Okay, we move. Sorry. Okay, we move to E1, which, let me get my. Okay, we move to E1, the minutes, uh, approval of the minutes of the special meeting of April 24, 2017. So moved. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Thank you, Ms. Bisfield. Any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0 tonight. Okay, we move to E2, which is approval of the minutes of the regular meeting of April 24th, 2017. So moved. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Second. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Okay, motion carries 6-0. Uh, meeting, uh, uh, sorry, E3, the minutes of the special meeting of April 26, 2017. So moved. Thank you, Ms. Sela. Second. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Is there any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. We move to F1, adoption of the agenda. 
move to adopt. I hear, heard Ms. Bisfield. Mr. Stratton, can I take you to the second? Please. Okay. Is there any discussion? All those in, uh, in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Uh, that mo motion carries 6-0. G, we move to G1. Appro approval of routine business by consent. Um, and if there is any matter that someone would like to mo remove from the consent agenda, we all know that we can do that. If you have anything that you would like to remove. I move for approval of the routine business by consent. Thank you, Ms. Mack. A second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Okay. Uh, is there any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. That moves us down the consent agenda. Two, Action Educational Services, M1, Dr. Henson. Dr. Strike is going to share with us information tonight on the uh, Read and Math 180, please, sir. Thank you, Dr. Henson, members of the Board of Education. The leadership and learning team has brought before you the information that you see before you in relation to the proposal for math and READ 180. The READ 180 program is specifically a research-based program that is designed to uh, integrate a dynamic learning system that involves direct instruction as well as uh, computer-led instruction for our students. It's targeting primarily students at the middle levels, so the program would be designed to try to support our students as they begin to work through and accelerate their learning in the reading programs that we currently have in place. This is a part of our MTSS strategies that would be designed for Tier 2 and Tier 3 support. The Tier 2 support would be primarily utilized with uh, direct hybrid instruction, as we indicated, the explicit instruction provided by the teacher, as well as the computer-led supports. The Tier 3 support that would be in place would be targeted to try to allow a phonemic approach that would allow our students to be able to gain the foundational supports for their reading program. This would be targeting primarily our English language learners, especially our newcomer students, as well as our special needs students. And the idea is to try to provide a foundational background so that those students can accelerate their learning with our goal to move those students out of a workshop type of environment to be able to access the regular curriculum and be able to progress through their educational program. That's an overview of the MAT or the READ 180 program. I'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. Any questions? Yeah. I'd move Thank approval of, uh, to purchase the READ 180 program. Thank Second. you, Ms. Mack. Thank you, Ms. Sela. Any further discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6 0. Okay. Next up, we have P1, Business Services, the resolution to sell general obligation capital outlay bonds. Dr. Henson. We have David Arterberry with us tonight representing George K. Baum. We also have individuals representing Gilmore and Bell. Uh, David, thanks for being with us tonight, and we look forward to the information you're going to share. Um, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. 
Um, as was mentioned earlier, um, today the school district sold um, a total of $18,580,000 of capital outlay bonds. Um, these are, capital outlay bonds are short-term obligations that the school district um, pays back from its 8 mil fixed capital outlay levy. Um, before I go into the results of the sale, I just wanted to spend a moment talking about the, the rating process. Um, back in early May, we went through a rating call with Moody's Investor Service, and um, Dr. Henson, Dr. Southwick, and Russell Knapp did a wonderful job of representing the school district and answering um, all of the analysts' questions. Um, the result was a confirmation of the school district's AAA rating, which is the highest rating that uh, any school district, well, size rating any municipal entity can get. Uh, it is actually, as a point of reference, two notches above the rating of the state. Give it a few weeks, it might be three or four notches above the state's <laughs> rating. Um, and specifically, the rating agency mentioned um, the strong local economy and the, um, the conservative financial policies and practices of the school district as, as the reason for the rating being, being so high. Um, all that said, uh, today we ended up taking bids on the bonds, and I was real pleased that we ended up getting a total of six bids uh, with interest rates ranging from about 1.37% uh, to 1.55%. Uh, the best bid was submitted by Raymond James, and we reviewed the bid. It was mathematically accurate. It met all of our bidding parameters, um, so we see no reason you'd want, not want to, to accept that bid. Uh, the final step that you have in terms of the issuance of the bonds is to consider um, for adoption the, the bond resolution that you have in front of you. Uh, and before you do that, obviously, I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have about the, the sale results or the process. Okay, I'm sorry, Mr. Shratton. Um, I'm going to play naive, even though this is my industry. Um, can you explain the process of receiving a premium when putting the, the bonds out for bid? Sure. When um, in the current interest rate environment, which is obviously very low interest rates, um, a lot of bonds that are sold are actually sold at interest rates that are slightly above the going market rate. So a bond that might have a going market rate of, let's say, 1.5%, uh, investors would actually prefer that bond to carry a, a 2 or a 3% coupon rate on it. And as a result of that, they, when selling bonds, in a lot of instances, you, you will generate these premiums where they'll sell these higher coupon rate bonds and, and generate a premium. Um, the, this, the underwriters of the bonds keep some of that premium for their profit, and then they return the balance of it to, to the school district. And today, all of the bids that were received did have premiums uh, attached to them. Um, I think the best bid had a premium that was somewhere in the average of all of the bids that were received. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Mr. Arberry? I would make approval of the one resolution to sell. Okay. Approve a resolution to sell general obligation capital outlay bonds. Thank you, Ms. Bissell. Second. Thank you, Ms. Sela. Yeah. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6 0. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we move to P2. The approval of construction contracts for multiple bid packages to complete the total 
Project Cost Facilities Warehouse, 6445 Carter Avenue, Marion, Kansas. Dr. Hanson. As you know, one of our goals uh, is to combine our operations and maintenance facility and our warehouse facility. Please remember the operations and maintenance is connected to the Westridge campus. Except that's not our warehouse. The warehouse is a separate warehouse facility that's off of uh, Lackman. And so we have the uh, bid package that's before you tonight, multiple bid packages for a total of 4.317863. And the construction will be performed under the terms of construction manager agreement. And as you can see, uh, that will bring the total cost for everything to 4.993818. These expenditures are paid for out of capital funds. It will be budgeted as you, uh, for this to occur. As you can, uh, if you remember in our budget presentation, uh, we plugged in a number. So the goal would be to sell the warehouse. Again, this is not the uh, facility that's connected to Westridge. This is a separate, strictly a, a warehouse facility that wouldn't, couldn't be used for any other purposes for us because it is so constructed in relation to land usage, but to sell that warehouse. And so when this uh, facility is constructed, you'll have an opportunity to put that on the market. Uh, we plugged into the budget 2.4. That's an, just an approximate number, but the warehouse uh, is worth multiple millions of dollars. And so that will help offset the cost of the, of the new construction that you see before you. Okay. Move approval. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Second. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Any discussion or other questions? Mr. Stratton. Just one real quick question. Um, the 2.4 projected sale, um, does state law have any rules around that, meaning can we keep that in the same category? Do we have to account for it differently? And do they get credit for any of the sale? <laughs> Fortunately, the state doesn't get, well, currently they don't get any credit for the okay. sale. We'll see what happens over the next six weeks or however long that process yeah. takes. Um, yes, it is restricted, so these monies have to go back into the capital outlay fund. Mm -hmm. the, the sale of the, the building, those revenues have to go back into capital outlay. All right, thanks. Okay, we have a motion and a second on the floor. Any other discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. Okay, we move to P3, which is the approval of grounds lease agreement. Dr. Hanson. Uh, this agreement is for the Trail Ridge campus. Mr. Robinson, are you still in the audience? If you would join me uh, tonight at the po podium. Um, so you can help answer any questions that might exist. So uh, we have an opportunity from time to time of companies that want to lease a small section of space on our school district properties uh, to put up cell phone towers. Now, don't think of the extremely large cell phone towers, um, but um, Mr. Robinson's been working on this project, so we'd be happy to entertain any questions. Again, this is revenue for us. We do have two gentlemen here from the company that we're here to answer questions if you have any questions. Uh, it's a, a tower is proposed uh, on the back side of our property there against the wooded area, and uh, the company has agreed to do some additional track work for us, for our students, in conjunction with this project. Are there any board members that have questions? I just have an idle. How, how tall a tower? Uh, And do we have one, any opportunity to maybe attach our own antenna if that need ever arose, or is that a separate negotiation? That would be a separate negotiation. Ms. Mack. Um, the access road, is that um, that's going to be put in this area, 
is that going to be is the access road accessible from our parking lot only or from a public road it's actually from the neighbor's property there uh, they're going to come across their property and come down the side of our property between us and the apartment complex Mr. Stratton. Um, are these towers already specifically tied to any service provider, or will there be multiple service providers using this tower? Multiple providers. T-Mobile is the first name on the tower. Okay. And others could also access it through your group? Absolutely. And then secondly, um, how many of these do we have now on district property? Uh, we've got the one at uh, O&M. And this proposal here, I think, are the only two that we have currently. And how about Indian, Indian Hills? Hills. Yeah. That's true. That I'm, I'm sorry. Indian Hills, yeah. Just kind of curious. We have additional. We do. We do have. We do have a contract here for this facility. If they ever get the clients for this one, but we have a we have a contract here also. Okay. Thank you. We have cell service in this room. <laughs> We're pretty limited right now. Are there any other questions? Okay. I would entertain a motion. So moved. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Second. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Is there any other discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6 0. Thank you. Okay. We move to Q1, Dr. Henson, approval of the boundary recommendations. So we've returned to boundary recommendations. We just need uh, direction. Certainly be happy to entertain any other um, question um, or thought process. Ms. Mack. Um, I would like uh, to move that we separate out um, I-35. The, uh, one pro the one proposal to the east of I-35 East Antioch, um, Overland Park Grade School, for a separate vote. And the second part of my, I guess it would be a separate motion. My second motion would be to um, table the rest of the boundary changes uh, proposals until um, the uh, what if proposal, the secondary proposal, and numbers can be vetted. Do we have a second for that? We have two motions. What? So we have two yeah, motions. we have two motions. Okay, so yeah. the first motion that you're making is to separate it out and have the East Antioch and Overland Park that change in boundaries. Correct. Okay. okay. So let's do that one first then. Do you want to separate it out? I'll second that. Okay, Dr. Denny's going to separate that. I mean, second Sorry. that. Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right, so Ms. Mike. All right, any discussion about that? I just would like clarification again. I've now got my map back up. Okay. Explain to me your motion. Um, that I'm separating out the proposal for East Antioch, Overland Park. It is to the east of I-35. It's the only one um, that is east of I-35. Um, the rest of them are a jigsaw puzzle, if you will. You move one, you move the others, so they are all interrelated. Um, and at, and at the public forums, I think you were there with me, and the one person that came and um, spoke against this, I specifically remember the conversation, and um, it, it, 
they, they had transferred into that school to begin with. And um, I think that, that separating this out um, from the other proposal is be beneficial for that school, for um, that it can happen in 17, 18, 18, 19. Thank you for the clarification. Okay, we have a motion and a second. And the motion is to separate. Now okay. we're separating, right, if we vote on this. Oh, okay, so this is to separate. Okay, mm -hmm. not not on the actual thing. Right. Okay, so the motion is just to separate this to be, one piece. Yeah, to be this separate piece than anything that's west of I-35. Correct, Ms. Mack? Correct. Okay, so any other discussion or questions about that, her motion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Okay, the motion to separate is approved 6-0. And then I would follow up with a motion um, on that motion <laughs> to approve that boundary proposal as um, stated by Dr. Michelle Hubbard tonight. Okay, now this motion is to approve the uh, East Antioch and Overland Park uh, boundary change. Okay, she's motioned. Do we have a second? Second. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Okay. Is there any further discussion or clarification needed? Okay. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. Then my third motion is to um, <coughs> postpone the boundary proposal vote um, for the areas west of I-35 um, so that... Um, consideration be given to the statements that I made earlier tonight um, and more information um, can be brought forward um, and vetted. Okay, so this motion is to postpone. To table. To table it mm -hmm. until further a further meeting, another meeting. Correct. Okay, is there a second? I'll second that so I can ask my question. Okay. Ask away. Uh, clarification one more time uh, to um, the effect and the ability to revisit this at our June meeting with additional information. Is that possible? You take it for um, I would say to gather the data as possible. I personally will be um, out of town that week. So, Dr. South will have to so I think the answer is yes, we can gather that information and um, we can have that available to you prior to the June board meeting. We'll want to go back and get the specifics in relation to what information that you're, that you're seeking to make sure we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. I guess I would say, is it, do we have to wait until the June meeting? Meaning have a special meeting between now and the June meeting? Meaning have a special meeting. Would that ease any <coughs> issues? I mean, I'm just thinking outside of the box. Would that ease any issues if we were able to gather that data, look at it, and have, I mean, within a, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there. A week. A week or two, I don't know. I mean, so that we could have you still be in town, have... 
So is it? So, Dr. Hubbard, can we commit that if the board wants to meet in two weeks, that Absolutely. we can have the, assuming we have all the questions to answer, we can gather that information, have it available? May I ask, if, if, if we do decide to have that special meeting, may we please have um, an open forum or a time for <coughs> comment on any revisions? Or let's say we have plan A, we have plan B, that we have um, time for public comment during that special meeting? Again, without knowing the, the questions, but the timing of us to be able to gather that information, if we can have a plan A and a plan B, um, ideally, I think the goal would be to push that out electronically so everybody can see it mm -hmm. and start gathering that feedback and, and that input through the process. Yeah. Okay, and then so then possibly voting at the June meeting rather than at the special meeting. You can decide when you want to vote in that regard, but uh, we can have the information available. We can have a plan A and a plan B, and we can push it out uh, to the parents so they can see that in advance, so they can start that communication process back instead of just sh showing up for a meeting and, okay, here's plan A and B. We want to push it out as quickly as we can right. push it out. Any other discussion? Okay, we have a motion. You want to restate your motion quickly? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, to uh, table the boundary proposals west of I-35 un until the next meeting, whether it be the special meeting or the June meeting. I guess I, I guess I'm saying the special meeting in two weeks. Is that or whenever we are just able? table the motion till our next meeting? Until Okay, and Mr. Stratton, you second it? I, I second that. Okay. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. We will table and get the data on the presentation, on the information that you gave tonight, Ms. Mack. So stay tuned. Okay. Okay, we move to Q1, which is the uh, discussion of, and approval of the attached memorandum of understanding regarding Senate Bill 367, Dr. Henson. Mr. Douglas, if you would join us at the microphone uh, tonight. Uh, Mr. Douglas has been working with our district attorney uh, on this issue, and so we bring it to you tonight for your consideration. Madam President, members of the board, as the superintendent mentioned, this is before you tonight for your consideration. I'll give you a very brief history of what this is about and why it's uh, come about at this time. Shortly after the Columbine incident, there was a lot of studying going on and questions coming up, criticism that came up about the communication between the various forms of government, the school districts, the police departments, and others, who all had information on the assailants but had not communicated that information. 
And you might understand that prior to this point in time, the counterpart to this is also the school discipline. And many of us, when we went to school, matters of school discipline were just that, school discipline. And even though, um, for example, if we had an argument or a fight or a, uh, between boys or girls, but that was handled as a, an administrative matter. The police were almost never called unless it was of such a severity that it arose to a felonious level. After the Columbine incident, all the states raced to put in place uh, Safe Schools Acts for their state, and Kansas was no different, and created the Safe Schools Act, which, among other things, mandated that all schools must be reporters of any kind of criminal activity, and gave no exception as to what that criminal activity was. The unintended consequence of that was now this inflow of information going to the police departments, which then took action on that in lieu of or in, in addition to school discipline, which now put an, an undisclosed number of individual children into the judicial system uh, for a lot of ranging things, some of which were very small and some petty, depending upon the location. And while my personal experience is the Shawnee Mission School District, even when I was the chief of police, was not likely to do that with any was not likely to place children into that situation very often, but it was pretty much out of the district's hands and was pretty much up to the police at this point in time. Consequently, Senate Bill 367 tries to establish or reestablish balance with the understanding that not every child who commits a technical crime needs to be punished both in the school and in the judicial system. And studies indicate that more often than not, a person who goes into the juvenile justice system may not receive help, but instead finds themselves down a pathway which chinks them into more and more difficult circumstances. So this is an attempt to moderate because we still have the Safe Schools Act, it did not stop the ability or the requirement of the school district to report these, but it does enhance the idea amongst the police officers, including our own, that moderation can be had and that mediation can be had and the school districts can return to monitoring and enforcing discipline at the school level as opposed to the judicial level. So this is a memorandum of understanding that establishes a compact between the local agencies and the school district, the district attorney's office, and the court, which simply recognizes that moderation and meets the requirements of the Safe School Act in addition to Senate Bill 367. I'll also point out that our officers and all the officers in the state of Kansas who have interactions in the school district, which is virtually everyone, will be taking specific training on the purpose of this particular act. And uh, both in my post uh, position and my current position, I'm wholeheartedly supportive. So I would ask you that uh, you look favorably on the, on the signing of this document. We have to sign an MOU of some sort. I believe this is very specific and covers the things we need to cover. Move approval. Second. Thank you, Dr. Denny. Thank you, Ms. Sila. I have a question. Ms. Mack? Um, Mr. Douglas, is this the same Senate bill that Terry Stickley spoke to us about at last open forum? It is. Thank um, you. If I might add, her main consideration in that bill was, was support of the bill, but she wanted it strengthened to also include 
uh, some language talking about the um, interrogation or interviewing or even maybe arrest of, of our students uh, absent a parent. The state law actually allows a 14-year-old child to be interviewed without a parent present. We've never allowed that to happen, to my knowledge, and would not. But this also states in here, for the purpose of the other law enforcement agencies, that while that may be applicable outside the school environment, it's not our poli your policy and it's not our procedure. Thank you. Any other questions for Mr. Douglas? Okay, we have a motion and second in, in front of us. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Douglas. Okay, R2, consideration of appeal of student suspension expulsion E173, Dr. Denny. Oh, wait a minute. No, in what did R1. I say? R1. R1. Oh, I'm sorry, R1. My bad. Whoops, sorry. Okay, missed one. Approval of the revised board policy BCBI, public participation. This is the second reading. So moved. Thank you, uh, Dr. Denny. Thank you, Ms. Mack. Any discussion? This is a second reading, so we've seen this. Right, okay. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6-0. Okay. I'm sorry, now we're at R2. Now we're ready. Okay. <laughs> I, I move that the Board of Education recess to executive session in order to discuss matters relating to actions adversely or favorably affecting a student. The meeting will reconvene at... It's 9.30. 9, it's 9.30 to 9.40. And then we'll continue the meeting. Second. Uh, thank you, Ms. Bisfield. All those in, in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Okay. okay. We can do board comments. And nope. No, we, we have this now. So 9.40. We'll be back, we'll be back in okay. two minutes. All right, so we are back. I'll play with the post free right now. We are back. Thank you. R2, Dr. Denny. All right, in the matter of student E17 3. I move the following. We recommend the decision of the Suspension Expulsion Committee as modified by the recommendation of the Deputy Superintendent to include a contract which will allow the student to return to school in August 2017 be upheld. We recommend further that the contract be modified to also allow the student to participate in summer lunch and other school programs. We further recommend that the student be assessed upon return to school to determine eligibility for SPED services. I'll second that. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. I'll mm -hmm. take yours. Um, okay, uh, any discussion? All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Motion carries 6 0. Thank you. Okay, with that, we move to T1. <coughs> Comments from board members? Mr. Stratton. Some real quick ones. Number one, I, I have to acknowledge this new space and thank all the folks that were behind the scenes to making this possible. Um, there was a lot of scrambling that took place. Um, 
a lot of sweat perhaps as well and so it's greatly appreciated so we're uh, glad to be here and thank you for all that went into it secondly i do want to reiterate a thank you to dr hubbard for all the work that continues to go into this project uh it's very important and uh you, you've been very helpful your entire team for us to best understand a very complex map with a lot of buildings and uh i appreciate it i i want to echo that um Driving around the couple times that I did and seeing how many houses are in our district to think 27,500 students. That's a lot of families. Um, thank you for your work. I also wanted to say thank you to the work on graduations um, from post high on Monday to Tuesday night to Wednesday night and Thursday night. If you didn't know, if you didn't go to a graduation, it was definitely the first time I've experienced start, stop, six. It took 45 minutes at Shawnee Mission North to move everything inside. And I know that um, some of the people attending could not um, come because they left. Um, different things happened. But overall, it was a phenomenal effort by our team in Shawnee Mission. They really did a terrific job from communications to, to video to um, the custodians to everybody there. It, and it worked out great because it's about the kids. And, and keeping it, it was people a good safe. night. And keeping people safe. Yeah. yeah. Agree. I was there. The coordination amongst the staff was amazing. Mm -hmm. Just to watch. And they just took it and went with it. And um, it was really a, a joy to see. So. Well, I would say the kids were champs, too, because yeah, a couple of nights were filled with wind. Mm -hmm. And to try to hang on to the mortarboard and tassels <laughs> and everything else that's, that's moving around you and blowing around. Plants that are over almost on their side, but they're walking around. They did a great job, and um, they got graduated, and that's what's they important. Did. It's a highlight for us. Yes, it was. It the, the week is a highlight. So, and for many, many families and students out there, too, as well, I know. But... It's really uh, an honor for us to stand on that stage and mm -hmm. shake all those hands and see this bright, shining, Absolutely. smiling faces. So, anything else? Dr. Denny. I move the Board of Education recess to executive session in order to discuss personnel matters relating to non elected personnel. Uh, we will reconvene. What do you want? Mm -hmm. We keep looking for a clock. Don't well, we? Start us out with a half hour. Okay, we'll and then we can always reconvene. At 10.15? Second. Thank you, Ms. Missfield. Thank you, Dr. Denny. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed? Thank you. Motion carries, 6-0.